You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. All right, well, good morning, everyone. Once again, my name is Cam Daly. I have the honor of reading our passage for today. We've been in a series called Behold. Uh, and today we are going to be talking about the meal, the supper. Uh, and so if you are willing, if you are able, I know you were just standing and then sat down. I'm going to ask you to stand again in honor of God's word. Uh, some of the most important words you're going to hear today. And we're going to read from Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to start in verse 17. This is the word of the Lord. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him. The teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the eleven. And while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, surely you don't mean it, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The son of man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one whom would betray him, said, surely you don't mean it, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You've said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of this vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to invite up Pastor Jorley to speak to us this morning. You may be seated. Hey, guys. How is everyone? Good. Awesome. So for those I have not yet had a chance to meet, my name is Jorley, and I'm one of the leaders here. Um, I think I've met quite a few of you already. Um, I was on maternity leave last year, so I feel like Rail City was my campus, you know, during the season. So I was here more often than not. Um, nowadays, if you're looking for me, I'm probably, like, um, either at a different campus or you can find me in the kids' classrooms or probably at the back trying to lull my youngest to sleep in the stroller. Um, it's always an honor and a privilege to be trusted and, and to be able to share it with you today. So thanks so much, Cam, for having me. Um, we are currently in the Behold series where it will lead you through different narratives towards the story of the empty tomb. And so today we're going to be talking about the meal, also known as the Last Supper. Um, so it's fr from this story um, that we as a church practice this sacrament and take part in communion today. And so I have a question for you guys. Has anyone ever gone to a dinner where, like, the hospitality was just amazing? Hands up. Yeah, good. Okay, cool. Awesome. I'm not just talking about, like, a Pinterest-worthy meal where that it only looks good. Um, but I'm specifically referencing times where you were 
you know, where you're both in good company and you had really good food. You know, where the dinner, at the dinner you felt really full, both like literally, but also felt full in your heart and in your soul. Um, where the conversation was just rich and you felt seen and known. And maybe in the conversations um, were filled with tears, but from joy and laughter, but also from sharing your stories with one another. What is it about gathering with people, you know, people you love, people you're willing to open yourself up to, um, that just feels so safe and just so rich? There's something about intentional community, one where you're just known, seen, and loved. Um, it becomes this place where you're able to release a little bit more of yourself, a place where you're able to slowly peel each layer. Like, think of it like an onion peel, you know, um, where you're slowly, you're allowing others to see more of who you are, maybe, maybe even parts of you you didn't like. And so when you start to open up in that space, you find grace, love, and encouragement. And so if you've ever gotten a chance to engage in a community or a meal like that, um, where there's vulner vul wow. vulnerability, vulnerability met with grace, there's no doubt you're going to walk out of that dinner feeling just a bit different, a bit more known, maybe even transformed. So what can we learn from the Last Supper? How does this apply to us today in our modern world? In the beginning of Matthew 26, it begins with Jesus. He just finished teaching and acknowledging that his time was almost, um, has almost come to an end. And so while all of this is happening, the chief priests are having a secret meeting, trying to figure out a way to kill Jesus. And in comes Judas, a disciple of Jesus. So this is someone who has walked closely with Jesus, who has watched Jesus perform miracles, who has sat under his teaching. Judas had opportunities we probably, like, we all would have dreamed of, that we would have been able to ask him all of the questions and doubts that, that run through our mind. And so, but in Matthew 26, 15, Judas asked the chief priest, um, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? And they offered him 30 pieces of silver. To which, okay, like 30 pieces of silver now, and depending on the type of coin and how um, pure the silver was, um, could have been the most, like $441, or at least, or as less than $91. So, like, I know money's money, but, like, I feel like that's still a pretty low bar to sell out the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but, you know, it's all good. Um, but now, here we are in our story. It's a few days until it's Passover, and to the Jews, celebrating Passover was a big Deal. They had feasts and a huge festival celebrating this time of year. Celebrating Passover for the Jews is huge because it reminds them of how God miraculously saved them from Egypt. The name Passover comes from the angel of death, like passing over um, the Hebrew homes. Has anyone seen the Prince of Egypt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like that, it's kind of. Um, <laughs> So this festival was a reminder of the freedom they now have. And it was a huge, huge celebration. Anyone and everyone in town was most likely preparing for this festival. So now Jesus and his disciples were preparing for the Passover meal together. And so remember that this celebration, um, this is a celebration and a meal they know very, very well. The Israelites is a group of people that treasured tradition, and each tradition has deep reason and meaning for why it's practiced or done. The Passover meal was no exception. 
to the disciples, they were just a part of the crowd in a sense. You know, they were aware that the festival was happening and it was about to start. And they knew that they would be preparing and engaging in some sort of meal together. They knew the Passover meal and they've practiced it. They've engaged in it. They've eaten it. They were just going with the flow, following what they knew to do. But little did they know that this specific Passover meal was going to be different. So what does all of this have to do with this narrative? What is the Lord's Supper doing in and through us? Um, Well, we're we're going to be looking at the genius of a meal, specifically this meal. How one meal links us to our Savior and has the ability to transform us. And so we're going to be going through three points. Our first point is familiarity. Two is remembering. And three is community. So first, we're going to look at familiarity. So who eats food here? (laughs) Good, yes, I think we all do. And so who likes to cook here? Okay, not everyone. Good, okay, yeah, awesome. So that's amazing. So I... I do majority of the cooking at home, and I enjoy it about a 6 out of 10. So for some of my friends here, you know this. I, cooking is not my forte. Um, there are times when cooking is life-giving for me, you know. When I figure out new ways to fuel my body for certain foods or spices, I get really sucked into, like, a new way to use turmeric to, like, kill the inflammation of my body or something like that. Um, but most of the time, cooking is a necessary evil for me. Um, I have a husband. Um, I have two small kids and a dog, and we all need to eat at some point. And so if I ever forget to feed my girls, it's just game over in my household. Um, One of them will be screaming under her bed while the other one is just screaming at me. And so eating is essential to our everyday. And just like for you guys, eating is essential for you guys. Um, And so sometimes when I cook something new, Sam will take an opportunity to rate it out of 10. Um, (laughs) Or he'll, make, or he'll make a point to rate, to rate my food if it's really good. Like not every meal, but. Um, I think it's to encourage me to make it again, but usually I make things by accident. So like joke's on him, it's never gonna happen. <laughs> He's never gonna get it again. Um, but m- most of the time, I've forgotten the meals that I've made and eaten. But as, but as I try to recall and think about these forgotten meals, uh, they each have shaped me and formed me. Um, It has balanced out my blood sugars when I need it. It's given me the strength to finish um, the workday or finish a workout meal by meal. Eating is normal and a very familiar practice for us. And so for Jesus and the disciples, um, eating the Passover meal was one of familiarity. They've done it tons. They could have probably done the rituals with their eyes closed. This tradition was one that had formed them for years a beautiful remembrance of what God had done for them. And in Genesis 1, the the biblical story starts with food and an opportunity to be thankful, obedient, and fully dependent on God. The first humans were able to eat in the presence of God. God had provided everything they could have ever needed. You know, like what an incredible experience. But unfortunately, it was also through eating that disobedience came into our world. And then so as we continue to read through the Old Testament, we continue to see how God uses meals to teach thankfulness, remembrance, and the gathering of his people. In Exodus, we read about how God provided manna, the bread from heaven, to the Israelites. It was a gift for them. It was food that was meant to sustain them, 
just for another day to nourish their bodies and to satiate their hunger. This became a continual practice and reminder for the, for the Israelites that God was providing and caring for their everyday needs. This remembrance of the Exodus story became a big part of the Jewish culture. This reminder of thankfulness uh, through a meal continued for years and years to come. And we see this continued into the New Testament. In moments when Jesus isn't preaching, we see that he is seemingly always eating with others. But there's something about familiarity, though, isn't there? When something becomes too familiar, we have a tendency to forget its importance. We forget why we celebrate it or do it in the first place. Some of us are traditionalists by nature, where you're more keen to practice the uh, to practice because of the tradition of it, but maybe you've forgotten uh, the significance or the why. I wonder if it was like that for some of the disciples with the Passover meal. I wonder what those things might be like for our own lives. Our culture tends to focus on excitement, passion, and risk, things that kind of give us a bit of a rush. So I'd be keen to say that would and could translate into our worship specifically into our worship to God. And that we might, have a uh, we might have a tendency to always be looking for a spiritual intensity. And this isn't to say that our, the Christian walk doesn't come with its highs, but I would say that majority of the time, it comes with its ordinariness. You know, what's exciting about fidelity to one God? Maybe we're not really thinking those things, or those specific thoughts, but if we're not careful, we could be following the wind of our culture. The whispers around us is trying to orient us in a different direction away from Jesus. It's telling us to look for excitement or hype outside of our everyday. If you can't find it in your relationship with God, then it must not be real. Look for something else. But that's just not how life works. You still need to eat something. And most of the time, it's going to be a regular meal. A bowl of oatmeal with some chocolate chips to spice it up. Or a bowl of cereal or a plate of spaghetti and meatballs. Regular meals, ordinary meals, but it will sustain you. And just like how these meals sustain you for your everyday, so does the word of God. Sacraments like communion and scripture reading, like feasting on the word, um, it doesn't always look like it can change your life. But quietly and even forgettably, it feeds me. It sustains me. And Tish Harrison Warren, an author, um, writes, but how should we respond when we find the word perplexing or dry or boring or unappealing? We keep eating. We receive nourishment. We keep listening and learning and taking our daily bread. We wait on God to give us what we need to sustain us one more day. We acknowledge that there is far more wonder in this life of worship than we, have yet, uh, than we yet have eyes to see or stomachs to digest. Let's not allow the lies and whispers of this world to tell us that fidelity to Christ is boring or that it's unchanging. That is far from the truth. We need to be careful that we don't get lost in the lies that because it's familiar or because it's not exciting, that it's not going to change you. Your bowl of soup sustained you for today. Being with Jesus and getting to know him through the scriptures will not only sustain your life, 
but save your life. And I can say that has saved my life. When we come and eat at the Lord's Supper, it means to come to him often so that you can know him deeply. Each time you come, you're gonna, you'll be changed for the better, whether you see the results right away or not. I love how Jesus used a traditional meal, a meal that is both important but could have easily been overlooked as a way to share important news to his disciples. This is one of our reminders when we come to the table today, that there is a message that can change us from the inside out when we come to the table with Jesus. Now we're going to look at remembering. When Jesus and his disciples had the Passover meal, Jesus took the wine and the bread, which are two things that were supposed to be eaten at particular times with particular words spoken over them. But instead of speaking um, from Exodus 12 or talking about the Israelites um, slaying the lamb in Egypt, Jesus said something different. In Matthew 26, 26 to 28, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Here, Jesus is claiming that he is a Passover lamb. And this is significant. He's saying, yes, it is the blood of the lamb that had saved your ancestors hundreds of years ago. But Jesus is stating that he is the ultimate sacrifice for all. In 1 Peter 1, 18-19, it says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So through the Lord's Supper, we practice and are reminded of what Christ did on the cross for us. Jesus knew what was going to happen next when he was having this meal. It was a near and tangible reality for him. Imagine being at that meal with Jesus. You're a disciple. You're listening to the words he is sharing, and you don't quite understand what he means when he's saying that the bread and the wine is his blood and the body. If anything, he feels a little bit cryptic. Like, what's that supposed to mean? You know, just give me a little bit more. But to Jesus, he knows what his next steps are. It was almost time. Think about the fear he must have felt. The anguish. The pain leading up to this moment. And we read this in the story of him praying to God on the mount as well. And I think sometimes we forget that Jesus was human. He was filled with the same humanly emotions we experience. Um, sadness, joy, grief. But I think we need to remember that though Jesus was both man and God, he was just as much human as we are. The difference was, other than him being God, was that he didn't allow his emotions to dictate his actions and his thinking. He still very much felt his emotions. And so Jesus would soon be carrying a cross. On it, he would absorb God's wrath, This righteous wrath didn't even belong to him because it was God's response to our sin. Every harsh, hateful, manipulative, self-righteous, unkind, jealous, this holy rage was poured into a cup for Jesus to take. He embodied every hurt, every pain, sin, and mistake. So when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we can behold Jesus. 
We behold Jesus as we eat the bread and drink the juice because we're reminded of how Jesus' body was broken for us. And so another name of the Lord's Supper um, is Eucharist. And Eucharist means thanksgiving. This moment of remembering isn't only to sober us because of what he has done for us, but it's to help lift our eyes to him in thankfulness. It's because of Jesus that we are now made, made right with God. It's because of Jesus that I can now have a relationship with him. And it's because of Jesus that I can be in a relationship with God and others. We can behold Jesus. So when we take part in the Lord's Supper, we are then entrusting ourselves to Christ and offer our obedience to him. Gordon T. Smith writes, um, As we remember him, he is the risen Lord who is present and who by his spirit draws us into his work on the cross. We are participants in what is happening as we embrace the symbols of the bread and the cup. And third point, community. So the other good news of the Last Supper is that this holy meal is a communal event. It is about eating together. Um, Smith writes, Meal fellowship for the Jewish community was a sign of thanksgiving to a gracious creator and redeemer. It was also a sign of community and fellowship, indeed of reconciliation. Jesus intentionally ate with those on the margins outcasts, tax collectors, and those like Zacchaeus and Mary Magdalene, whom others rejected and despised. He welcomed them at a meal. This was scandalous for the religious authorities of the day, but for Jesus, eating with sinners was something that necessarily accompanied his preaching and teaching. Jesus was intentional about being with those on the margins. And that is good news for us because none of us are perfect. We each have our own reasons for believing why we feel like Jesus would not have wanted to have anything to do with us. Things that we feel like would just disqualify us. But it's one thing when it's our own thing, right? It feels like a whole different situation when it's someone else, right? Like someone that bothers you or that irks you the wrong way. In Matthew 5, 23 to 24, it says, Therefore... If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been reconciled with God. We have been reconciled with God. And so now we are reminded about the importance of being reconciled with others. When we come to the altar ready to receive Christ, let's have a softened heart towards those who may have hurt us. I know this is so much easier said than done, and trust me, this is so much easier for me to say than do in my own life, but there's something here. Jesus shared a meal with all types of of people. His own disciples had issues with one another, whether that was political or social. My goodness, if you think about it, Judas, his betrayer, was at the table dipping his bread. And even after he got called out, he was, he, he was still there. He finished the meal. It's his final meal, and it's with Judas. But Jesus always brought people together for one purpose, and it's to move the kingdom of God forward together. Through communion, we are reminded as Christ followers that we are reconciled with God. 
And so it's also through communion that we experience and are reminded of that reconciliation with God. But it doesn't stop at our relationship with God. It continues to be a reminder for us about the importance of being reconciled with others. Jesus' meals were acts of compassion. He saw and met hungry people and he fed them. Jesus responded to their most basic needs while always insisting that their fundamental needs was greater than their physical needs. These meals were acts of acceptance, forgiveness, and mercy. So yes, we receive communion to remember what Jesus did for us and that we were forgiven, but we must not forget that the meal is also a place of acceptance and mercy for others. Um, Jackie Hill Perry, a speaker and author, um, says, There is a huge disconnect with our worship of God and the way we speak of the people of God has made. I think it's because we have failed to see or forgotten the fact that the way we talk about people says a lot about what we actually believe about God. Perhaps we have forgotten that, that our speech towards him and each other are both forms of worship. That it is an inconsistent thing to say, I love you, Lord, and to say, I hate you, neighbor. But of course, most of the time, we don't see our undue criticism, slander, gossip, and reviling of another as hatred. But hate is simply to love someone comparatively less than another. In 1 John 4, 20 to 21, it says, If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving, loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. So what does this look like for you today? Think about the person you can't stand right now. When you hear their name, your heart races. Your mind starts to spiral or go into defense mode. Think about the person who's wronged you. Or maybe it's not even like that bad. Think about your morning. How did you speak to your spouse today? To your kids? The barista that you see every day? That student in your class? Your mom? Your dad? I know I'm touching some sensitive areas here. <laughs> Jesus calls for reconciliation to those relationships. You know, if we're going to go a little bit deeper, a little more, what about friends that were supposed to companion you but hurt you instead? What about the past pain from a church you've experienced, a community group leader, maybe a pastor? I personally have a tendency to separate parts of my life where I separate my everyday life from my worship with God. But Jesus is calling us to bridge the divide, to figure out the inconsistencies in our hearts, to get to the source. And so this is about dealing about the contents of our hearts. Our words and actions reveal what our heart hides. And we need to deal with our hearts so that we can, we can get to the source of it so that our actions and our words can match our worship to God. And one of those ways is through relationship with one another. If there's anything that's going to challenge our faith, it's people, isn't it? There's a reason why relationship is both so beautiful and so, so difficult. But it's worth it. 
We can't live this life without others. We need one another. So whenever Jesus gathered for a meal, he was sharing bread and stories about the kingdom of God. His meals would have people from all over, from east to west. So this meant that there were a lot of people that did not look alike, talk or talk like the Jewish people. Everyone had their own stories, their own trauma, their own problems and opinions. They brought it all to the meal. But that's the genius of the meal. What shows that the kingdom of God is amongst us um, more than being surrounded by others who don't look like us, who have different opinions and stories from us? What speaks more loudly than groups of people who are loving and forgiving towards one another they do not have anything in common with? And what speaks louder than a unified body of believers in a disunified world? This invitation to eat from him is an invitation to trust him and be transformed by his life. In the remembering and giving thanks, there is an invitation to receive life. Jesus has introduced a new covenant to us, a new promise where God's eternal life would be made available once again through Jesus. This meal is not something we do for Jesus. Rather, it reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. It becomes something we do with Jesus. We participate with him in it. This meal is a reminder for us of what's to come, that we can participate now, but we have a promise of something greater because because this isn't the final meal that Jesus has prepared for us. So what does that mean for us? How does this impact our discipleship to Jesus? Well, come to Jesus often. Remember him often. Remember that he set a table for you and me. When we participate in communion, we experience God's grace all over us. But also, come together. Come with others. Admit the wrong that you've caused. Say sorry to one another. Reconcile. Live at peace with one another. Do this because you have been reconciled with Christ. And we were undeserving of that. And so a lot of the times in the modern church, the communion portion of the service becomes a bit of a somber moment. And there is a seriousness to it. Um, There is a seriousness to it as we remember the brutal death of our Savior on our behalf. But in the first few centuries, the practice of communion was actually referred to as the love feast. That as followers of Jesus would gather around the table to break bread and drink a good glass of wine, they would gather to remember that because of what Jesus did, We are reconciled with God, and also we are reconciled with one another. Imagine Jews and Gentiles, people with different opinions, different cultures, different lifestyles, looking into each other's eyes as they break bread together, but they're doing it in joy because of what Christ has done. So yes, it is a time to remember, but it's also a time of deep thankfulness in a form of celebration because of what Jesus has done for us. So, as we prepare to take communion together, we can remember in familiarity, we can come to the Lord's Supper often. Two, in remembering, we can behold Jesus. And in community, we can love radically. Let's pray. Jesus, as we prepare to go into communion, Thank you that you lived and died for us. You went to the cross to save us from ourselves. You gave us a new life. 
one that's filled with hope, reconciliation, love, and grace. We're so undeserving of that love, but you pour it over us. You are overly generous with us with your grace and mercy. And I pray that we would start to see that in our lives, from the small to the big things. If there's anyone here that isn't quite sure about you yet, or maybe it's their first time hearing about this Jesus who was deeply loving and relational, I pray you would reveal yourself more to them. I pray that you would show them just how great, deep, wide your love is for them. For those here that do know you, I pray that if any of us have come to a place of that's just become too familiar with you, maybe those who grew up in a Christian family or school or maybe had a past background in the church or have been hurt in the midst of it all, wherever we might find ourselves, Lord, I pray that you would refresh our hearts, revive our love for you, maybe even remind our hearts that you have been a faithful and good God to us. I pray that you would give us a desire to know you more and that as we desire to meet you, that you're faithful to meet us. Would you overwhelm us with your joy and love, that it would overflow out of us into our kids, to our friends and family. And God, for those who may need to reconcile with someone today, would you bring those names to our minds? Would you also give us boldness to act lovingly? but also to help us bring those hurts and pains and situations to you. Help us trust you that your way of loving is better than we could ever comprehend. Lord, as we come to the table today, let it be in joy and celebration because of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.